0: How about we get into the scripture? What do you say? Sound good? All right. So we're in the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got an app on your phone with the Bible in it, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're at today. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this whole passage this morning. Then we'll pray and uh, we'll dive in to unpacking it together. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now let me say this before we go on. Paul, when he writes finally, if you could have read that as one of his original hearers of the letter in Greek, they wouldn't necessarily have understood that as this is the last thing Paul's going to say to us. Because this is only if you got a copy of the, the text in front of you, it's only halfway through his letter. And he's already saying finally, That word in Greek could actually just mean furthermore or in addition or uh, let me tell you this too. Paul really shifts gears here. He had been giving examples of, of how to live out their faith in Timothy and Epaphroditus and in Christ. And now he totally shifts gears and he goes back to instruction and exhortation. So he says, finally, my brothers, you could say my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And is safe for you. Look out, Paul writes, for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day Father, thanks for Jesus, and thank you for uh, the example of Paul and uh, his rejoicing in the midst of suffering, his faithfulness to uh, uh, to preach your word and to carry on ministry in spite of great opposition, his sole focus, Jesus, on you. It's pretty incredible to see his example, and last week to see the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. and. And now we see Paul give instruction to us again. Help us, help us heed it well and learn it well. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I teach, you'd speak to me and through me. Uh, help my thoughts to be uh, clear, to be uh, according to your word, to be helpful to us. I pray against the enemy, uh, the one who would, who would steal our joy, who would, who would rob us of um Knowing who we are in Christ, who would uh, convince us that we have to do more and more and more to be right, Jesus, with you. But instead, Holy Spirit, work in such a way that we see your grace, that we see Jesus, and uh, that we walk away changed. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, Paul begins, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul instructs the Philippians and us to rejoice. You're like, yeah, I know. We've been seeing that for weeks now. Why is he doing it again? Really, Paul? You haven't made your point yet. He says rejoice, rejoice. Like, If you counted up all the words that mean rejoice, or, or in the book of Philippians, it'd be like 14, 15 times. He says rejoice and tells them to choose joy. Oh, man, come on, Paul. I think I got it. Why again? He says, well, I know you've heard it already, but he says, to write the same things to you, it's no trouble to me. Paul's like, I know. And they're like, I know, Paul, you're a broken record. Again, really. He's like, hey, it's no trouble to me. And in fact, it's safe for you if I say it again. Or your translation might say it's a safeguard for you for him to repeat it again. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Overarching this entire passage is this truth that choosing to rejoice is a safeguard for your life. Choosing to rejoice is your safeguard. Well, do you want to be safe? I mean, do you want to be secure? How many of us, we spend our whole lives, we try to find security. We try to find safety in, in all kinds of different things, in our savings accounts, in in our family, in our job, in fill in the blank, right? Having enough food stored away in case we get hit by a tornado. What, hap- what is it? You, do- you want to feel safe and secure? I think we all do. It's-, it's a natural longing of our heart that God's put in us. But Paul says, listen, those things, here's the thing that really gives you safety, really gives you security, that's a safeguard for your life. And it's choosing to rejoice. And choosing to rejoice, it's it's like this umbrella over me where it protects me from different things. When I choose to rejoice, when I choose to dwell on God's grace, it it safeguards me. You're going to see all these, I think, this morning. It, It safeguards me against religion, against people who tell me I ought to do this to be right with God. It safeguards me against false teachers. It safeguards me against just being despondent. And kind of out of it. And I just don't care anymore. It safeguards me from being self-centered when I choose to rejoice. It safeguards me from pride. It safeguards me from self-sufficiency. When I choose to rejoice, it safeguards me from doubting my salvation. It safeguards me from so many things when I choose to rejoice. And what I want to look at this morning then is in choosing to rejoice... How do we safeguard our lives? I'll give you five things of of how to safeguard your life as it comes to choosing to rejoice. Paul starts like this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, first we gotta say, well, if if we're supposed to choose to rejoice, what does it mean to rejoice? Well, what Paul's saying is he's saying, choose to dwell on God's grace. Choose to dwell on God's grace, to think about it. To to immerse yourself in it. What is God's grace? God's grace is his undeserved love and merit and favor toward you. How many times over the last few weeks we've been talking about this, because this isn't the first time I've said this. But how many times now have you just taken 15 minutes, 5 minutes, a half hour, and just sat to dwell on God's grace to you? Have you ever really thought about it? Have you ever really dwelt on God's grace? What do I mean by grace? Well, the, the Bible's clear that all of us, and we, we can be clear just by looking at our lives, we've sinned. We've messed up. We've fallen short of God's glory. We, we deserve, I deserve hell because of my sin eternally. And, and my sin, the weight of my sin was on me. And, and it's a barrier between me and God, yet What the Bible tells us is that Jesus comes in the flesh, lives a perfect life without sin. And what God the Father does is he takes my sin and takes it off of me and lays it on Jesus Christ. He makes him to be sin who knew no sin. So now what's in the way between me and God? Nothing. It's been taken away from me. It's been taken off me and put on Jesus. Did I deserve that? No. Did did I remove it and put it on Jesus? No. No. God the Father did. It's undeserved. It's grace. Now, when I really think about that, that God loves me, that he created me exactly the way he wanted me to be, that he ordained all the days of my life, that he takes every day of my life and works it for good in the end, that he's totally sovereign, that even when I've screwed up, he can take that and make it into something good one day. That's grace. And I challenge you, if you haven't done that yet, take some time and just start sitting and thinking about it. Take five minutes today and and just just let your mind wander thinking of God's grace toward you. And at one point, if you you do it long enough, you're going to get to the point where you go, this makes no sense. Why would he do this? And it's because he loves you. It's because of his great love for you. That's why we say you are loved every week. You're loved by Jesus and you're loved by us. You're loved. But, but if I'm going to choose to rejoice, it means I choose to dwell on God's grace. Because if I don't dwell on God's grace, I start dwelling on all the things that are happening to me. And all my happenings. And I start trying to find happiness in my happenings. And it's a worthless cause. Because it might last for a little while. But usually five minutes later, something else is going to happen that's going to make me go, I'm not so happy anymore. (laughs) But if I choose to rejoice in God's grace and dwell on his grace, his grace is always there. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for me is unchanging. Unchanging. Give thanks unto the Lord for his love, his grace endures how long? Forever. Forever. Choose to dwell on his grace. And not only choose to dwell on it, but let it define you. Let it define your life. In other words, as I dwell on it, then I start to live it out. I I start to live out his grace. See, I'm, I'm like Paul, aren't I? I'm repeating myself from past messages. Why? Because it's a safeguard for you. Because it's safe for you. It's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Let's see what we mean by that. Well, Paul says, choose to dwell in his grace, choose to rejoice. And he says this in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Here's how I summed this up. Number two, not only dwell on God's grace, but number two, look out for the joy suckers. Let's define some of them. Paul starts off by calling them dogs. He... Paul doesn't choose his words just casually. He chooses them very specifically. So what does he mean by dogs? Well, let me back up just one second before we get there. Because Paul's writing to a church in Philippi. And most of the time when Paul writes to churches, he writes to correct something going on there. And when he writes to the church in Philippi, you don't see much correction. You see a lot of encouragement, but not a lot of, you guys really screwed up here, so get it right. But Paul has enough experience planting churches that he knows everywhere he went, whenever he would plant a church and tell somebody about God's grace and his undeserved love for them, that right behind him would be a group of people who tried to say, yeah, but I don't, you gotta add on to what Paul said. He didn't quite get it right. Especially this group known as the Judaizers. Now, why were they called the Judaizers? Well, it's because they tried to make everybody Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, he's the Jewish Messiah. And what Jesus does is he dies on the cross so that there's now nothing that I would need to do to be right with God. Jesus has done it all. Yet in the past, the Jewish people, out of reverence for God, had, had done all of these things to be right with God, looking forward to their Messiah who would accomplish all of it. And not recognizing that Jesus had done it all. They said, well, he's a Jewish Messiah. We've trusted him. But now these Gentiles, these people who aren't Jewish, how can they just trust him? They need to get in line. They need to become Jewish and trust the Jewish Messiah. And then they can be saved. And Paul says, no, that's not how it goes. Paul says, no, if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. If you just simply trust him, you'll be saved. You don't have to get all these other things in line first. You don't have to clean your fish before you catch them. You just need to trust Jesus and turn to him. That's what Paul's saying. And yet he knew, though, that maybe that wasn't happening yet in Philippi, but he knew right on his heels would be coming these guys who would be coming in and saying, that's not quite enough. And Paul calls them what? Number one, he calls them dogs. He calls them dogs. Anybody who would take the gospel of Jesus Christ, any pastor, any missionary, any person— Who would take the gospel and add something to it. Or would take the gospel and distort it. Paul says he's a dog. He's just barking orders. He's he's of no... Paul's understanding of a dog wasn't your understanding of like your best friend Fido. Okay? Paul's understanding of a dog was this animal who, who wandered the streets and caused trouble. And was a scavenger. And just nasty. Not a friend. And Paul's saying anyone who would distort the gospel, look out for those dogs because they'll rob your joy. Look out for them, the ones who would would add on to what the gospel clearly teaches. See, he says, look out for the dogs. He says, also, look out for the evildoers. The evildoers, the ones who who would not do what's right in the sight of Jesus, but who would do evil. Look out for those, he says, who mutilate the flesh. See, here's what Paul's saying. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And he has no no tolerance for anyone who would preach something different. They're dogs, they're evildoers. He's saying these false teachers have distorted the truth of the gospel so much that they've become dogs. And you you know what the Jewish people called the Gentiles? They called them dogs. He said they've become worse than the Gentiles because they've they've twisted the gospel. Now, why does he call them mutilators of the flesh? Well, in order to be Jewish, there was a physical sign of being part of the Jewish people. That every male would be circumcised and they'd cut away the foreskin of their flesh. And and what they're saying is, these Judaizers are saying, if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to become Jewish. so, So guys, man up, get circumcised. And Paul's like, what? No, they just need to trust Jesus. That was just a physical sign of the Messiah coming. It was a sign of the redemption. That didn't save you. Jesus saves you. Turn to Him, trust Him. And Paul says so, in reality, by doing that after the fact, when you haven't trusted Jesus, you're you're just mutilating yourself a mutilator of the flesh. What a waste of time. What a dumb thing. Just trust Jesus. He says, rejoice in the Lord and look out for the dogs, the evildoers, the ones who mutilate the flesh. Now here's who these people are, because the reality is things haven't changed a whole lot since Jesus' day to our day. There still are dogs and evildoers and those who, in a certain sense, mutilate the flesh of the church. And I would define them as, well, joy suckers, but also you could say religious people. We're religious people. Religious people are the ones who say, if you're going to come to church, dress right. Wear a tie, get a haircut, get a real job. If, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, um, then you need to follow these rules. These aren't necessarily rules in the Bible, but they're rules of the church. And, and you got to follow these rules to be right with God. And they're saying, you got to get it right, get it right, get it right or pay the price. And then you're good to go. You ever run into religious people? The truth is, every one of us can be religious in some ways. And we impose our own standards and our own ideas onto other people. When when Paul says no, the thing that matters is is grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Not a righteousness that you earn, but we're going to see here in a second, a righteousness that comes solely by faith. So Paul says, watch out for the joy suckers. Don't let them add on to anything just keep your eyes on jesus dwell in his grace and he reminds us then in verse three he says for we we the believers were the circumcision we're the true believers we're the ones who worship by the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh so if you want to safeguard your life choose to rejoice, choose to dwell on God's grace, look out for the joy suckers and in the process remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. That's what Paul says. He says he says rejoice in the Lord, look out for the joy suckers. You're the real believers. That's what he says. You're the true circumcision. We are. Who? Who's we? Well, the people who worship by the Spirit of God, the ones who who glory in Jesus Christ and they put no confidence in the flesh. You're saved by grace alone, not by being circumcised, Paul says. Not by any outward act or religious thing that you do. See, in in those days, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. For us, after the time of Jesus, there's a new sign of the covenant. Do you know what it is? After you trust Jesus, what do you do? You get baptized, right? Now, some churches wrongly teach that if they're they're just like the Judaizers here, that if you really want to be saved, the way you experience God's grace is if you're baptized. Except the, the thing is, while in the New Testament there's no such thing as a Christian who isn't baptized, there absolutely is no requirement to be baptized in order to be saved. It's an outward sign of what's happened in your heart, just like circumcision was. And Paul says, remember your identity. It's not in what you do. It's not in fulfilling these signs. It's in what Jesus has done for you. And you worship by the Spirit of God working in you. Not by achieving your identity. Not by doing all kinds of great things to earn God's favor. But simply because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Paul says, but, he says, worship, worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh, but if you were going to do it, I could do it. I mean, if that was the way, he he gives an example here now kind of takes it to a logical extreme. He says, if that really was the way, if you really could earn God's favor and put confidence in the flesh and in your actions, Boy, I, nobody I don't think could outdo me, Paul says. And he reminds us not only to find our identity in Jesus Christ, our identity in Christ, to remember that, and by the way, to revel in it, he says who, those who glory in Jesus Christ, who boast in Jesus Christ, but he's, he reminds us don't find your identity in your privileges and in your achievements. He repeats the argument again. Don't, don't find your identity in your privileges and your achievements because paul says hey hypothetically speaking you know we're the true circumcision we worship by the spirit of god we glory we boast in jesus christ we put no confidence in the flesh but if i was going to do it if anybody was going to do it you know what i could do it and he starts listing some of his accomplishments circumcised he says on the eighth day You know those people who are telling you, you have to get circumcised? Well, guess what? I was circumcised, and it was on the eighth day, just exactly according to what the Scripture said it should be after I was born. Man, I got it down. I couldn't even control that. My parents did that for me. This is a privilege Paul had. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. Paul's saying if anybody could have confidence in their worldly achievements, their worldly privileges, it was him. He said, I was of the people of Israel. Now, if you know anything about Paul, he was born in a Greek city, in a Gentile city called Tarsus. Yet his parents would have been Jewish believers or Jewish people. At least I guess maybe Jewish believers one day, but they were were devout Jews at the time of his birth. And he would have been trained in the ways of Judaism. And he was purebred. He was pure-blooded Jew. I was of the people of Israel. And in fact... Not only just of the people of Israel, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was of, he says, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the, the tribe of Benjamin, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not just Israelite, but I'm Benjamite. And what that would have spoken to those people is he's like well-respected in the Jewish people because the tribe of Benjamin was one of the two that remained faithful when the kingdom split in the Old Testament. The the, the, the tribe of Benjamin were, were some of uh, Jacob's loved. <laughs> it was one of his lo- two most loved sons, the youngest one. He was the only one born in the land. He, there was I could go on this whole list of all these privileges that were associated by the Jewish people with being part of the tribe of Benjamin. It, it's like he was the elite class, right? Paul's just, he's amping it up. I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a true Israelite. In fact, from the tribe of Benjamin, not only this, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is probably a reference to the fact that he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. He didn't have to learn this later. He learned it growing up and he could speak it fluently. And in fact, when you get to the end of the book of Acts, when Paul's getting accused, I think it's Acts chapter 22, 21 or 22 after the riot, all of a sudden he turns and he speaks to the people in their native tongue in Aramaic. And, and what happens? A hush falls over them because they're like, Whoa. This guy really maybe is Jewish, even though they accused him of different things. So he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. Now we get into some of his personal achievements, not just privileges he had growing up, but his achievements. I I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most strict, devout group of religious people. They were the most orthodox, strict Jewish sect. They, they followed the Old Testament law with, with precision. And not only that, but they followed their own laws with precision because they, what they would do is they'd say, okay, here's what God says. Now we don't want to ever not do that, so let's put another fence around it and not even do this so we don't even come close or have the ability to do this. And, and they were so dedicated and so devout about fulfilling these laws At one time, Paul says, man, I was like the Judaizers. I believed that salvation came from perfect obedience to the law. The Pharisees believed that their own rules were just as important as God's rules. See, their, their motivation for these things was good. They wanted to honor God. But in the end, they became so focused on their rules that they lost sight of God and his grace and his love for them. They became dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. And Paul says, I was one of them. Paul says, these guys who are telling you, you got to do all those things to be right with God. They don't hold a candle to my resume. Not even close. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. And he says, not only that, but as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Do you know that about Paul? He was so zealous for the law, so zealous for God as a Pharisee, that he would actually murder Christians because he thought that's what was right. He thought they had violated the law, that they had blasphemed God. And he would, he would persecute them. He said, these guys are zealous. They just want you to obey the rules. But what they don't know is I stood and watched other I murdered Christians because they didn't follow the rules that we laid out for them. And as to righteousness under the law, Paul says, in other words, under the law, in terms of obeying each of those things, I was blameless. And what Paul does here is he gives them a glimpse at his trophy wall. He says, hey, man, if anybody had it down, I did. I was circumcised on the eighth day. of, of uh, I, was, I was part of Israel. I was a, a Benjamite. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. To the law, I was a Pharisee. To zeal, I, was, I persecuted the church. To, to, to being righteous before the law, I'm blameless. They can't hold a candle to my reputation. And Paul does this because they had put their hope and their security in obedience to the law. See, here's what's really incredible is Paul's, the Pharisees said, the safeguard is our rules. That's the safeguard around honoring and worshiping God. And Paul says, no, no, no. See, because I've met that safeguard completely. The real safeguard is choosing to dwell on God's grace. It's choosing to rejoice. That's the real safeguard. It, whatever gains or the, the advantages and credentials he lists here, here's what he says in verse 7 about them. See, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted it as loss. For what? For the sake of Christ. It doesn't matter how much I do. It doesn't matter how much I get it right. All of those things ultimately don't matter in light of Jesus' grace. You ever run into people, they just have kind of an ego and kind of an arrogance about them where, well, I've I've got this degree. I'm cool. I know better than you. I have this experience. You know, I'm really cool and better than you. And I, you know, they, they go through this whole list of things and you look at them and you're just like, okay, that's great. But, now notice Paul doesn't say that all of these things are bad things. In fact, he uses the trophies on his wall to gain an audience at different times with different people. He doesn't say they're bad things or that you shouldn't have them or that you shouldn't strive to achieve things. He says that's not ultimate. And if you're finding your security in in your achievements, in uh, your bank account, in your degree, in your job, in getting it right all the time, in going to church, in your parents who took you to church, in your baptism, fill in the blank. If you're finding your security and identity there, you're sunk. You're sunk. Because I count it as loss. Loss. You know, Paul went through this whole list of things. He says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let me ask you, what are you counting on to be right with God? So many people, if you'd ask them, hey, if you you die tonight and you stand before a perfect and almighty God, hypothetically, if he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? Do you know what most people would say? They go, well, I, I tried to do really good i think i did all right i mean if you put everything on a scale i think the good probably outweighs the bad i didn't murder anybody i wasn't as bad as these people i didn't do this I... but that doesn't matter does it because those achievements you're never going to do enough to be right with god It's only by God's grace. And that's why Paul says a safeguard for you is to rejoice, to dwell on his grace. Quit worrying about getting everything right and just dwell on his grace. And when you do, that identity will be lived out in you and you'll start to get it right. It's a pretty incredible thing. And put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in all your achievements and all the things you do. Now, Paul isn't saying don't worry about living a holy life. He's saying don't put your hope there. Put your hope in Jesus. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss, verse 8, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Could you, like Paul, list all your achievements? Could you, like Paul, list all your pedigree religiously? Maybe you grew up in a certain church. If, If you were like me, maybe you grew up in a Lutheran church and you've got Martin Luther, man. He started the Reformation, Maybe you grew up in a Presbyterian church. You can look to John Calvin. Hey, I come from the line of John Calvin, spiritually. Maybe you're from a Methodist church. John Wesley. And you go through all these people and you can find your confidence, your identity in that, or you could you could look back at all your achievements in life. I started thinking about this yesterday for myself and some of my own achievements and my own things that I've accomplished in life and When I graduated high school, which I think is timely today, because you guys are just graduating, my mom put together this huge scrapbook of stuff that I had accomplished to show off at my open house. I was digging through it yesterday, and I found some things. Here's some things I found. I found um, a whole list here. I didn't bring them in because they're tucked in a scrapbook, and I didn't have time to pull them all out. But when I was in third grade, I had perfect attendance. In third grade. And you and I know third grade's a grind. So that is a huge achievement. In fact, that's probably what led me into high school. I was part of the National Honor Society. I had a... I didn't even realize this. I had a 3.98 GPA in high school. Pretty cool, huh? My ACT score was 31. I was... uh, Well, let's go back a little bit. I got these out of order. In second grade, I won a poster contest for the Conservation Society in our county. And the poster said um, the theme was presenting wildfires or preventing wildfires. And my slogan on mine said, I learned to prevent fires before you have one. It was pretty clever. I won an airplane ride, second grade. That's on my list, man. That's things I've accomplished. My mom was showing that off when I graduated. Not only that, but check this out. I was, uh, when I was 12 months old, look at this picture. I won Cutest Baby. Huh? Pretty good, huh? And it was prophetic because when I got in high school, I played baseball, and our baseball team lost nine games in four years. Nine games, that's it. I mean, we were, we had almost 100 wins in four years, and I lettered in baseball, and I got a letterman's jacket, and I was all conference in golf. And I played football, my jacket still fits. Isn't this great? Some of you, try, try when you get home, huh? See if your jacket still fits. And will make it feel good if it does. If it won't, don't try it. <laughs> but but I, I had all these accomplishments and I got into college and I got accepted into a bunch of different schools and I went to Iowa State and studied architecture and I got into the architecture program and I left and went to Moody and I got to Moody and I, I got a degree in Bible theology and after Moody um, well, by the way, my, my diploma is signed. I got my high school diploma here. After, after Moody, I, I came worked here for a while. And um, while, while I was here, I worked on a graduate degree and I got my master's degree and I got all these things that I could say, man, I, right? And you have them too. You have them too. You have this list that you find your identity and you find uh, your, your, your worth and your purpose in. And you can go, look at me. I'm pretty cool. I got it down, it's in the scrapbook. Paul says, here's my scrapbook, here's my trophy while I count it all as loss compared to knowing Jesus. In fact, look at exactly what he says in verse eight. He says, for his sake I've suffered all thing, the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish compared to, that. I might, in order that I may gain Christ. I count them as rubbish. The language in English isn't as strong as it is in Greek because in Greek, what it really says is I count it as dung. I count it as feces. I count it, all of these things, I count it as a steaming pile. And Paul says, all of my accomplishments, it's rubbish. The, uh, the awards, the... Uh, the GPA, um, uh, the, the poster contest, the ACT score, all that stuff. My, my graduate degree, my undergraduate degree, my diploma, uh, winning a letter in high school. It's, it's rubbish teaching myself and, and having skill in music. It's, it's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says it's garbage. Now the question is, What are the things you are finding your hope in? Paul says it's safe for you. It would be so much safer for you. It would be a safeguard for you if you would choose to rejoice. to, To put your focus on God's grace. And know that you can never do enough to be right with God. But Jesus did it for you. You need to look out for the joy suckers, the ones who would come along and and steal your joy and tell you, you know, you didn't do enough, you didn't get it right, just a little more, maybe next time. And you got to understand, no, that's not true. That's a lie. Jesus did it all. You need to remember your identity in Christ. And you need to glory in Jesus Christ and revel in it. And you need to quit finding your identity in your privileges, the things you were born with, the color of your skin, the the, the neighborhood you live in. And you need to find your identity, not in that or in your achievements, but in Jesus Christ. And number five, finally, then Paul says you need to strive to know him. Graduates, you're heading into life and and you're gonna be faced with all kinds of opportunity to to have all kinds of accomplishments in your life and those are great things and I encourage you to strive for them, work hard for them. Don't hear this that I'm saying, you shouldn't try, you should just forget it and be lazy. No, work hard. But find your identity in Jesus first. Not in what you do or in what's been done to you or in your past failure for that matter. Find it in Jesus Paul says, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing him, that I may gain Christ. Strive to know Jesus. And why would Paul say strive to know Jesus? Well, because he supersedes any and every other thing. Jesus does. Paul says, be, I, I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, I, that's rubbish. I don't want that. I want a righteousness that comes from God. That comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends not on me, but on faith. That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. That I might share His sufferings, become like Him in His death. That by any means possible, whatever happens, if, if, if I, if, if Jesus comes and takes me back, or if I die and have to be resurrected from the dead, by whatever means I might experience the resurrection from the dead. Where's your hope? Where's your focus? The truth is every one of us, including the guy on the stage giving the message, we find our identity and our hope so often in our achievement and in our privilege and in what we do and in what we accomplish. And we buy into the lie that we're not good enough, that we didn't get it right, that that somehow we failed and God's turned his back on us. The truth is, yes, we have failed. Yes, we never get it right, but Jesus did. And Jesus paid the penalty for me and he took God's wrath off of me and took it onto him so that even though I fail, even though I mess up, my hope is not in me anymore. It's in Jesus who pays the penalty for my sin and and I can be free. And so I ought to choose then to rejoice. I ought to choose to dwell on God's grace and let that define my life because it's a safeguard for me. It keeps me from the joy suckers. It keeps me from the dogs and the evildoers. It keeps me from relying on myself because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. And I remember my identity there and I strive to know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your grace to us through him. Father, I pray for those of us today who know Jesus. Help us to follow Paul's uh, Example In Paul's words, to to turn our hearts and our minds away from ourselves, away from uh, those dogs and evildoers who would accuse us, Satan chief among them, and instead turn our, our eyes and our hearts toward Jesus, choosing to dwell on his grace, choosing to rejoice in it and revel in it, letting it define us, remembering our identity, not finding any confidence in the flesh, but solely in Jesus Christ, and striving to know him. Jesus, to know you is better than any other thing on this earth. There's nothing that compares to it. I pray for myself that you give me the sole focus of Paul to strive to know you and to love you and to seek you. I pray that for each one here who's trusted you. And Father, I pray ultimately then too for those who haven't become a Christian, who who hear this and Maybe you're even a little confused by it, but I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would grab their heart, that they would understand that left to themselves, they will never, ever measure up. But that Jesus, you did for them, and that if they would simply turn, if they would repent, it just means to turn Jesus to you, that you, you, you give them their, your grace. You, you take the penalty for sin off of them, and you take it yourself. You take the punch of God's wrath for them. And now they too can rejoice in your grace. And they too can be safeguarded from uh, a life of pain and suffering and, and an eternity of suffering for their sin. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that some of them may turn and trust you even today. Father, uh, take our gifts now as we give them, use them for your glory. And uh, as we sing, let it be from a heart longing to worship and know Jesus, choosing to rejoice, choosing safety in you. I pray all this through Jesus, my Savior. Amen.